May the words from my mouth, dear Father, and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm going to talk this morning about the transforming power of grace. I want to talk about hospitality and those two things going together all through the story of this guy named Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So that passage will come up here in just a second, but I'd like to ask, begin with asking you this question. Have you ever received some extraordinary act of kindness or generosity? Just think for a moment. Have you ever received some extraordinary act of kindness or generosity? And I mean big, like extreme home makeover big. Okay, probably, that, probably not that. You maybe haven't experienced that. You ever watch that show? It's hard to watch that show and not get teary-eyed. Um, I don't think it even comes on anymore. But it's the kind of thing that when you see it happening, it's, you, you, feel, you want to believe these people are Christians doing this thing. You, know, you think, this is the kind of stuff the church ought to be doing. And I don't mean simply like you know, a friend covers your lunch one day, although I'm open to receiving that if anybody wants to offer um, or just like sharing maternity clothes or something. You know, I mean, like somebody's paying for your college. They give you a car, some amazing gift. How about a great gift of forgiveness? Someone has forgiven you in a really big way or shown you extraordinary hospitality. Think about it. We want to think about the transforming power of grace expressed through extreme hospitality by looking at it in this story about Mephibosheth and then consider what it points to and embrace both what grace provides for us as well as what it calls us to. So I want to read this from 2 Samuel chapter 9 uh, up on our screen. It's uh, shortly after David has uh, uh, received these covenant promises from God in the in 2 Samuel, that happens in chapter 7, then we go to 8 and 9, and we learn about Mephibosheth. It's not the first time we've learned about Mephibosheth. The author actually introduced him to us briefly earlier on. Uh, we know that he's Jonathan's son, David's best friend, close friend Jonathan. It was his son, and that at five years old, while trying to flee from a battle, he was dropped. And that's how he became lame, or, or in both feet, he became crippled. And then David, there's this story about David thrown in here. <clears throat> Let's read it together. I'll read it aloud. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. You notice that phrase. Show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth! Exclamation point. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. 
and you shall eat at my table always. He paid homage to him and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. The word of the Lord. This is really an extraordinary story thrown in this, these narratives that Samuel contains regarding David. And you might wonder, like, why is it there? What's, what's the point of this story? And in many ways, it, it's another one of those things that commends David to us. We see David's heart. He was called a king, a man after God's own heart. And in many ways, David, remember, if you remember the Old Testament story, is God's answer to the problem that emerged in the book of Judges when they had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it was just chaos. And they needed a king, a righteous and good king who would rule rightly. Not a king like the other nations who would make himself the ultimate authority, but a king who would submit to God in humility and rule his people in, with righteousness and justice. So David is God's answer to that problem. And the, the, the Samuel narratives commend uh, David to us. We feel that he's the right king. He's the best man for the job. He ought to have the job. Even when he has opportunities to kill King Saul, their first king, he doesn't take them. He surrenders to God's providence and timing and He lets God take care of those things. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. even honors King Saul and his son, Jonathan, who had become David's close friend, as I said. And that's the extraordinary thing about Jonathan, too, is that as an heir to the throne, Jonathan doesn't try to take power. Instead, he throws all of his loyalties behind David. Perhaps he recognizes David is God's anointed, and so he pledges his allegiance there. And uh, it seems strange that David would want to show kindness to uh, Saul's house. This is the, the, the opposing dynasty. In fact, there had been war between the house of Saul and the house of David that lasted a long time. In fact, it says so in 2 Samuel 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to this. It says, uh, wait, no, sorry, not 5, 1, 3, 1. It says, and the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. So these two houses have been at war a long time. And yet David begins to think about his old friend Jonathan, his close friend, who had died in battle. And despite the hostility between the house of David and the house of Saul, he wants to show kindness to Jonathan's family. And so for the sake of another, I want you to remember this, for the sake of of another, he wants to show kindness to, to someone. Because of his love for another, he's going to show extraordinary generosity to this guy, Mephibosheth. David seems excited to learn about the opportunity, doesn't he? 
He's eager to do something good for this guy. And it seems not to matter one bit that this guy Mephibosheth is lame in his feet. Which means, you know, in part, that Mephibosheth couldn't come and serve in David's army and be one of his generals or something. He couldn't come and be one of his house attendants. But this doesn't matter to David. In many ways, Mephibosheth doesn't deserve this, and he certainly cannot earn it in his condition. He can only receive it with gratitude. Hospitality was already an important virtue in the ancient world, as some of you may know. Uh, To grant table fellowship with someone means welcome and acceptance. It was probably a show of respecting the dignity of the other person. And you notice how that's like a refrain in this passage. There's a couple of refrains in the passage. One of them is that Mephibosheth is lame and crippled in both feet. And then there's the refrain that he always ate at the king's table. And then it mentions once, like one of the king's sons. That's how he's being treated. Extraordinary kindness, welcome, acceptance to a crippled man who cannot really serve David. And David doesn't require any service of him or seem to expect any service from him will always eat at his table like one of David's sons. The story perhaps seems hard to imagine. Again, why is it in the Bible? There's this story of steadfast love and faithfulness. He wants to show, remember, God's kindness to someone. And like much else in David's life, this points us as Christian readers of this text to Jesus. I think one of the reasons Mephibosheth's story is so compelling to us as Christian readers is because hopefully we recognize that this is our story. That we too have been welcomed and embraced and accepted, not because of something we had to offer, but all for the sake of another. We've been accepted by God for Jesus' sake. And it's not because we were good at something or particularly uh, helpful to God, as if God needed help. Have you ever been guilty of thinking the thought, oh, it would be so great if so-and-so would get saved, come to Christ, because they'd be a great person to have on the team. They'd probably be a great evangelist you know, for our team, a great hard worker. But God doesn't need that stuff. He can make of people what he wants us to be. But what I want us to grasp is that it's because of the Father's love for Jesus that we receive the same benefits of relationship that Christ enjoys. I want to ask you, do you believe that? That's part of the good news of the Gospel. Because of the Father's love for the Son, we receive the same benefits of relationship that Christ enjoys. Therefore, that what's true of Jesus is true of us. It's important to always remember That what God said to Jesus when he was baptized, he says to all of us, you are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. I think people who believe that will act and feel differently than people who don't believe that. It empowers you. It changes everything. The gospel proclaims that God loves us. But we would only be objects of his displeasure without Jesus. Jesus, who was both God incarnate as well as the true human being. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves, defeating the powers of sin and evil and death, 
making atonement for our sins, reconciling us to God, and securing us in the love and favor of God. It's important to recognize that Jesus is the one who secures us in the love and favor of God. This is not never earned by us, by our good behavior, or lost by us in our bad behavior. Jesus has secured it. Uh, sometimes people talk about the favor of God as if it's some special thing that if you, you can get special access to as a Christian uh, if you pray hard enough or you're, uh, if you do some right things. In both Hebrew and Greek, the word grace and favor are the same thing. And therefore, by definition, they're not things you can earn or not something you can get gain special access to. Like there are Christians who have a certain level of grace and favor, but if you're super Christian, you get extra grace and favor. Um, not the case. Jesus secures it. Jesus keeps us. Jesus was raised from the dead to rule and reign forever. That means nothing can defeat him or overcome his power to keep us secured in the love, grace, and favor of God. He rules. We get to sit at the king's table, so to speak. Not for what we can offer, but only for the grace of God. All we can do is say thank you. And accept the gift. When we come to worship, part of it's remembering the gospel so that we might remember to say thank you and accept the gift. The price to secure God's love has more than been met in Christ for all of us. What I want as part of this message is for us to believe and enjoy that truth and for it to allow, cause your soul to exhale, to relax, to be at ease, to be comforted helped, made whole, for it to heal, perhaps whatever maybe is broken inside of you. Know that like Mephibosheth, you're welcome to sit right there at the table. And then I want us to ask, what what sort of response does this act of love and grace call out from us? What should we do in light of living with and before a God who treats people this way. If God has so loved us, how then should we love one another? More than that, how should we love those who are outside of our various circles of acceptance? Mephibosheth wouldn't have naturally been inside David's circle of acceptance, except because of his connection to Jonathan. The same for us, except for our connection to Jesus. I believe that we are called, and this is the challenge of the message, that we are called to imitate God's hospitality. Remember, that's what David was doing. He's showing God's kindness. So this is not just David's kindness to Mephibosheth. He is reflecting God in that moment. I'm showing God's kindness. This is how God is. We're called to imitate God's hospitality, to show the same grace that we've received. And by doing so, who knows what may be happening? We may be entertaining angels. We may be serving Christ himself who is found in the hungry, in the thirsty, in the unclothed, in the imprisoned and unsheltered. Perhaps Jesus is also found in the odd, helpless, or strange person. As we've done for the least of these, Jesus said, we've done for him. And the reason that's God-like is because God did for the least of these in sending Christ to live for us, to die for us, and be raised for us. We are the lame. There's a sense in which every one of us in here, we're, 
were just plain lame. You know, and I'm not, I'm not meaning that you're not cool or something. You might be very cool, but you're also lame, and so am I. Um, we are spiritually lame. There's this great little quote from Herman Melville, um, maybe in the book Moby Dick, but he says this, or someone says this, Heaven have mercy on, all of, on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly in need of mending. Uh, when you read that, do you think, I resemble that remark? Yeah. Do you think I resent that remark? Hopefully you think you resemble it. We are somehow dreadfully cracked about the head, sadly in need of mending. And, beyond, and besides that, we couldn't serve God in our own strength anyway, but only with strength that God provides for us. More than that, we have a God who doesn't need anything, as Acts 17 says, so it doesn't require any sort of personal service to sustain Him. Everything we do, either for God or for someone else, is something that God enables us to do in the first place. Now, I have to acknowledge in preaching such a message that I am not one who's very accomplished, very good in this area. I do find it hard to love people, especially those who are unlike me. I believe that I suffer from self-absorption. And when I say it, I, I do mean suffer. <clears throat> suffer from self-absorption. Now, self-absorption doesn't feel like suffering. It usually feels good. But the, the thing about self-absorption is that it causes us to act and feel in dehumanizing ways. To be self-absorbed is to become dehumanized, zombie-like something less than human. I mean, I might pay for your lunch every once in a while, but to welcome you into my family, to provide for all of your needs, give you a bunch of land, well, I don't have that, I couldn't give it to you anyway, or give you a bunch of food and expect nothing from you in return, seems radical and unlikely. I mean, but I might do something like that for someone that I really loved, try to intervene for them. Or I might do it for someone loved by someone else, uh, that, like for one of my kids' friends, someone that they love. Uh, I can imagine if a, one of my daughter's friends ended up homeless or in need that I might want to help. But God did this for people who were his enemies. God did what he did, showed his kindness for people who had rejected his rule and authority and we continue to do so, even sometimes as Christians. We basically say, I ought to be able to decide what's right and wrong for myself. I ought to be able to call the shots. I should be accountable to no one but me. Um, does this sound familiar? No, see, we have been graced. We have been welcomed and loved in the most radical way by God. And the question, One of the questions I want to ask is, what would it look like if all of us in here were as eager as David was in that moment to go and show God's kindness to someone, to go show his generosity. I mean, what if we all left this place today as just this little army of people ready to go show kindness and generosity in radical big ways to the people around us? Would that not have some awesome kingdom effect on our neighborhoods, on our families, on uh, our campus? What would it say about God when people say, why are you doing this? This is showing God's kindness. We're not good. We believe in the good one, the good one who is Jesus. That's why we do this.
Um, ask yourself this question. Are, are we able at this moment to identify any way or any person to whom we are showing radical hospitality or grace or generosity or help? Think about it for a moment. Can we identify some way or some person? It's a challenging question, but one we ought to ask. And then if not, we could ask ourselves, why not? Are we unaware of just how radically we've been loved? Have we forgotten? Has it become uh, like a stale truth for us? Not one that moves us. Maybe that's why we need to hear and be reminded of the story of David and Mephibosheth this morning and often, so we might be stirred up again and be motivated, moved to go out and show God's kindness. You know, wouldn't we think that Mephibosheth, that there was something wrong with him if he didn't have a heart to go and show kindness to other people in light of his own experience? We'd think there's something wrong with that guy's heart, something wrong with that guy's head. What about us? Um, We actually do, Mephibosheth does actually come back up in the story uh, another time later on when David has to flee. He's sort of forced to flee Jerusalem when his son Absalom is rebelling against him. And then there's an opportunity for David to come back. And Mephibosheth, who like had essentially been in in a kind of mourning until David returned, he, uh, he Greets David. He sees David again, and he's willing to give up all the gifts that David gave him. He's willing to give it all back and not have it anymore. He's just so glad that David is back. He loves David so much, not David's gifts, but that's what he really wanted. <clears throat> and from the story of the Good Samaritan to the story of the unmerciful servant to Paul's exhortations to do good to outsiders and so adorn the gospel as well as his, uh, Paul tells us in another place to, uh, tells, to, to be zealous for good works, it's written. And from Jesus' own example, we are called to be people who show the same sort of grace and hospitality to the world. For Jesus' sake, to love those who appear as though they can't do anything for us, but just pure gift. In Christ's name, let us be that kind of people. Let us go out of here today as that little army of people ready to show God's kindness, remembering the Lord's words that it's more blessed to give and to receive. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for having loved us in a radical way and given us big forgiveness and shown us extraordinary hospitality and said we could be welcomed as your sons and daughters We could be called your beloved forever. We could always be welcome in spite of ourselves. Even though we are spiritually lame and do you no good on our own, we want to delight in this truth. And we want to be transformed by grace to be people who reflect your image back out into the world. Would you please fill us all today with the Holy Spirit, with power to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to have a heart to do for others as has been done for us in Christ. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.